All right, we're back on War Stories with episode nine, talking about Band of Brothers. This episode is called Why We Fight, part nine of a 10-part series. Again, with Sayer Payne. Sayer, thanks for being here. Glad to be here. All right, so as I was watching these two, re-watching these two, right, I remembered earlier in this series saying, this is a combat episode. There's a lot of fighting in this episode and feeling stupid when I said it because mm-hmm. it's a series about World War II, about a combat unit in World War II. But for anybody who hasn't seen the series or you know, by the time you get the episode, even eight, but really nine and 10, um, the fighting pretty well stops. These aren't combat mm-hmm. episodes anymore. They kind of get into some pretty deep topics. Right. And uh, I'm excited to get into some of this. Yeah, there's these last two, there's just a lot going on. Um, there's just a lot going on with, with both of these episodes, uh, big picture wise. So one of the, there's all these little parts that have stuck with me from Band of Brothers. And one of them is right at the beginning of episode nine, before it actually starts, when they're talking to who you find out are, you know, by, by the end of episode 10, they put names next to the people being interviewed at the beginning. Um, actual veterans of Easy Company. And it ends up being Shifty, who says, we may have been good friends, kind of, you know, talking about the German soldiers were doing their things, or were doing their thing, and he was doing his thing, but a different time, a different place. What did he say? Maybe we would have liked fishing. Maybe we would have gone hunting together. That's something that I've thought about a lot, because it's, I mean, we're all just people, right? And I don't know. That's pretty deep. Do I, uh, do, I don't think that way. I do what not do think mean? that way. Well, um, well, when you're saying it, like, I, I see how... It's interesting that they... For one thing, it's interesting that they played that not before the D-Day episode, but the concentration camp episode. Mm. So you're getting into... Uh... I mean, that's a, a, a deep topic. Well, I think we come back to that, especially when we get into the concentration camp, um, kind of the separating then and now can't be separated. Germans, just everyday Germans, German military, the Holocaust, sure. Nazis, all of that. It's, it's, um, it's a challenge. It was a challenge then, it's a challenge now. And there's not a, you, it, it's not fair to do one big, broad brushstroke. Right. Because not everything is absolute. But That's, the minute you don't make it an absolute, you kind of get attacked saying, are you making carve outs or are you trying to defend and um, see if we can tiptoe that one? What do you think? Oh, I, no, I think it's <laughs> all context. Um, no, it's totally situational dependent. But there's. Um, yeah, in, in war, there's nefarious actors and there's hate and there's evil. Um, and then there's, you know, there's many, many, many more innocent victims. Um, but there's both though. There are both. So something else as they're walking through that town right at the beginning of the episode and it showed the destruction of just, it was just rubble. I mean, there were parts where you couldn't even tell it was a city, right? It was just stones and, and beams and furniture. That's something that I'd like to spend more time studying is the idea of, or just loosely say, battlefield cleanup. Mm. I mean, if you talk about the First World War, the number of bodies and munitions and barbed wire 
know how much barbed wire there was in the first world war just everywhere right you've you've put barbed wire away before right there was the the stat in world war one is something like enough on the western front to go around the world 40 times something silly wow somebody has to clean that up and somebody has to clean up these towns that have been bombed into nothing Hmm. i mean yeah i mean that became the mission it became the humanitarian assistance uh which was able to, because civilians, well, this is back to, you know, the victims and all this. There are so many innocents involved in the war. And what I'm saying is, yeah, sometimes it's the conscript who has nothing to do, like the poor Southern Confederate guy that was 18, knew nothing. I mean, he's not making decisions. He just drafted. <laughs> it, I don't know if he's making a values-based decision, like fighting for a certain cause or not. He's just kind of there because he has to be, because he's an 18-year-old male. He's not, no money to get him out of it. And you know, there's propaganda and motivation behind all that, of course, but kind of a victim of the circumstance, right? As compared to the actual people making decisions, that's that's just a whole different nuance. Um, but the the these civilians, it's interesting because I think what's it, they had a government who could care for them during this whole war, so it's not like this humanitarian assistance was a piece at all on the 101st Airborne Division's mind when they were going into Germany to think that they would be, well, obviously they were surprised about the concentration camp, but then um, to think that they would be doing this sort of cleanup um, detail, I don't think that they were thinking that that came with the territory of how they were to be used when they were kind of boastful about being surrounded by the Germans in Bastogne. That's how the 101st Airborne Division is to be used. Now, this episode... I mean, if you dial it into one thing, the easiest takeaway is this is the concentration camp episode. We've already hit on that a couple of times in the first five minutes. Um, Mm -hmm. But that also happens right at the very end. So I'm going to try my best to hit on a couple, make sure we hit on a couple other items and leave Mm -hmm. time for that at the end. Cause it's, that's, you know, sometimes we put together some notes for these and we may or may not get to the last one or two items on the list. If we don't talk about the concentration camp in this episode, that's a pretty big miss. So um, I'm going to make sure we leave some time for that. But I want to keep moving through what we're seeing on the ground. There's, there's, there's looting. And I mean, just American soldiers, right? The, the, mm-hmm. the best of the best going into these houses, whether, whether there's Germans there or not, and just taking whatever they want. And it's a, I mean, that's been a part of warfare forever um the idea of not looting is relatively modern in the scope of history right that's one of the the spoils of war right that's where it comes from sure but it's interesting watching it now that didn't jump out before it was kind of a funny scene before um and it's going to play out again in episode 10 and you're going to see everybody do it but it's interesting seeing that right these are the heroes these are the good guys and they're They're, they're looting. Well, they were collecting Lugers before. They were collecting watches before. So it wasn't the first time we've seen it per se, but it's a different, it is a different take on it now because they, well, maybe that's the difference, right? Is the other stuff they're taking off a dead enemy. This is taking from civilians. So maybe that is the nuance. 
when it comes to like ethics, I guess, if you want to throw that in to the dilemma. Um, but hey, it's real and it shows authenticity. War is hell. And it gets into more so in the next episode. So maybe we'll just cover this now and, and, and leave it next time. But when they go into like a Nazi headquarters building and pull flags off the wall and steal the silverware, I have this weird feeling of, I, I shouldn't care. Those are, or no, what I should, I should care, right? They're still stealing. They're still, um, they're still looting from somebody. But on the other hand, it's the Nazis, like take it, burn it, do whatever you want with it. So, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Maybe, but that's maybe not don't the silver think too much stuff. about it. I don't think that the silver's a Nazi per se. Um, I think that's the that's the nuance here. I don't think we don't. Well, nobody really knows who the real Nazi because now it's like you're not going to say it, um, and they're all going to be covering up, saying no, 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 it wasn't me. It was the other guys. It wasn't me. I mean, we're going to go with that now for the rest of everybody's life, essentially, um, from that moment on. And so I don't think it was. That's my point. Also, I don't think it was as clear as the the swastika flag right with this silver platter underneath the punch bowl. I think it might've been, you know, Mrs. Smith's house, whose husband yeah. was a German officer, but, you know, was he a Rommel guy or was he an Auschwitz officer? Again, there's, there is a difference. And you said it, and we'll get into this a little bit more later, but um, it's very hard now to find out exactly where people stood on some of these matters because under Hitler, nobody spoke up, right. certainly didn't document their objections. It was, it was, it was risky um, or life-threatening. And then after the war, very few people said, well, actually I supported them. They were suggesting that they were against it or they, they were in the military, but not a Nazi. And, and it's self-preservation. So um, dialing in who sat where on what side of the fence, um, you know. It's real interesting. You know, we're not Germans either because they had to go through it. But I took a, um, I forget what, it was in college, but I took a class and it was about like German kind of propaganda and the evolution of the film and all of that. And anyway, I know that there was this movie in the eight. It was like basically in the eighties. It wasn't until the eighties that there was like this movie that came out. That's, and I forget what it's called by now, but um, which is like 30 some 40 years after the fact. And it came out like about just this awkwardness of this generation that grew up with this. Don't talk about it. Um, that era was exactly what we're talking about of a lot of people did do things, but you just never knew because they didn't talk about it because everybody was in the party essentially that was in any sort of position of influence or power. I mean, uh, captains of industry or any, in a business person, it's just what it was. And then they just weren't that at all anymore. And so um, also knowing that a lot of bad, you know, evil did happen within, you know, fully acknowledging that as well. Um, So it's, that'd be an interesting generation. Those post, um, you know, the boomers that we have here, you know, we've got our relationship with them. And then I'm sure that German era, I mean, it, it's a world war, obviously. There were lots and lots of consequences that resulted after this. That's a topic I want to learn more about, and I don't know how to begin doing it. But right. the idea that, you know, when, our, when, when 
American veterans came back from World War II. They were the heroes. They were the good guys. They had parades. There were books written about them. They're in movies and TV shows, and there's people talking about their exploits 80 years later. When German soldiers came home, they weren't treated that same way. I mean, they certainly didn't have a victory day parade. Um, and as soon as the crimes of Nazi Germany started to come forward, um, people were distancing themselves from that. And I just, and it's gotten to the point where if you mention the German military in World War II, there's one thing people think of, and it's the Holocaust, and it's Hitler, it's Nazis. Yeah. Um, so I said one thing and then rattled off three, but none of those are good. And I feel like that has to impact somebody on the individual level to never be able to, those, those oh, German yeah. soldiers still lost friends, still lost family, still saw horrific things on a personal level. And I can't imagine they were able to effectively cope with that over the course of their life. And I don't know how to learn more about that because it's um, kind of been a quiet subject. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's kind of what I was saying. And it wasn't even, it was all that something that everybody knew, but didn't say. And it took them almost 40 years in their popular culture to even broach the subject. And so, which means all the, the participants were pretty old by then, um, kind of in that retirement age uh, for those kind of more truth or authenticity to come out. But I agree. It's, a, it's like a family cycle that they had to collectively go through as society. Well, I want to move on a little bit to the um, Nixon comes back. Captain Nixon comes back from an airborne jump. And this is an example of you can get lost in this series thinking that mm -hmm. not only is Easy Company only 12 soldiers, when in reality it's probably, what do you think, 80, 80 to 100, 100 peak, probably a little less. Yeah, less now. Well, I guess they're still getting replacements. But, but never 12. There's scenes where they say easy oh, come yeah, to gather yeah. up and there's eight people there, right? Um, yeah, yeah. We, we kind of get sucked into that and we yeah. kind of get sucked into thinking that the because the series is about easy company, the 506, it's easy to lose sight of the broader conflict. And Nixon, yeah. that jump that he took part in was called Operation Varsity. It was the largest airborne operation of the war. Really? Bigger than Market Garden, bigger than D-Day. But it wasn't... Um, I don't know exactly why Nixon was there. He wasn't the 101st, like wasn't really a part of it. So he must've just been attached somehow. He was an observer, an OC essentially um, to just kind of make sure they're doing all right. And then just um, gut check to make sure it's all looking smooth since he's just got the experience. So he sent a staff officer to do that. So it was the, it was the U S 17th airborne and the British sixth mm -hmm. airborne. So we know about the British six, they jumped at Normandy. They jumped at market garden. The U.S. 17th Airborne was still in training at uh, when, when D-Day kicked off. And then and we're talking major airborne operations. There were a handful of others. But then they got to Europe just before Market Garden, and they thought they haven't had enough training to get them really spun. Not enough training, but it would take too long to get them spun up and tied into the plan. So they didn't jump into Market Garden. Mm -hmm. the, I think one of the reasons we don't hear a lot about this is there weren't a ton of casualties. And it was successful and it was trying they were trying to open a northern front in germany kind of similar to market garden um mm -hmm. but just right on the german border kind of similar as in like trying to open another front in germany stops about there but um 
after the war and even a little bit during, it was debated whether that needed to happen. Hmm. As in, did we, progress was being made so fast in so many other areas. Did we really have to have this major airborne operation? So it's, it's not as well known as some others, but go ahead. Well, what's interesting is, by the way, I forgot this point. I mean, again, I, seen this series so many times but i just i just overlooked this little scene really and just did the math like oh i didn't know we jumped really into berlin this late into, the, into germany this late into the game i didn't know the whole well the fact that nixon got three combat jumps as compared to two which was normal and it was kind of it was very abnormal for him to get three because uh, i looked him up after the fact so um i must have just glossed over that on the, all, all of the other prior times that I've watched this series. I never really picked up on any of that until this time. Well, I've got a point I'm getting to here, um, but one more way to kind of tie it together. Some wars, you know, I'll just stick to World War II. There was a tipping point in World War II where Germany could no longer win, but we didn't know when the war would be over and at what cost. It would hmm. take another three months, another three years. Um, it's an opinion point, right? It's not like at one point Hitler said, we can no longer win, now we're gonna lose. Um, so people have different opinions on when that happened. I tend to think that that was after the successful landings of D-Day, because Germany then had to face the reality of fighting the defensive war on three fronts. And they could no, I mean, they were losing in the East at this point, but they were shuttling resources back and forth. By the time the Western allies landed in France, you couldn't move resources anymore. and I think that was probably the end. That didn't mean that there wasn't a fight still left. It didn't mean that there weren't a lot of people left to be killed. But I think Germany's chances at winning were done. So a little ramble there to get into this Operation Varsity. Nixon has to start writing letters for the people that were killed mm-hmm. in an operation where we know the war is going to be won at this point. This is March of 1945. Germany surrenders a month and a half later. Mm-hmm. We know the Western allies, the allies are going to win World War II. The operation in of itself is questionable if it even needs to happen. And he has to write these letters home to families. And one of the things he gets kind of hung up on is he says, I have to write home that they died as heroes. Do I even believe that anymore? Well, I still, and what Winter said, yeah, remember, but I think about bigger picture, though. It's that um, sort of doing their job thing. And especially as airborne infantry, I mean, these are likely not draftees. They were volunteering for this type of job job in the time of war and um, showing up and doing their job. And there's something to be said for that because you do trust that you are needed. I mean, you Back to kind of what we were talking about earlier. It's hard to blame the private for the actions of the, the powerful. And because um, they're just doing their job. They don't want to be the break in the chain because, again, you break the chain. Um, and you're just completely ineffective. I think we lost your video there, Sayer. So um, something that came to mind for me, we talked about it a little bit in one of the previous episodes. I think it might've been Bastone where it was confusing trying to explain exactly what the purpose was for what they were doing. I'm sorry, it was the last patrol. 
what exactly is the purpose of what we're doing? And you tied it into GWAT, Global War on Terror. Mm -hmm. um, to me, this scene with Nixon is the exact same thing. I mean, not to, you know, I, I hate to use the word easy um, when describing casualty notes, but if you had to write a casualty note for somebody that fell on the beaches of Normandy, that story writes itself. Right. If you have to write the casualty note for a family that lost a son over Germany five weeks before they surrender in an operation that maybe wasn't necessary, that's a little different. And to me, much of the global war on terror fits that second category. Or how on earth do you tie in everything about what they were doing and how it was important into, into a letter? It's, it's, I just think it goes back to that bigger picture in the context of someone who died in, I'll say Afghanistan's easy because bin Laden was there and all that, right? Iraq's, let's say that's the hard one or whatever. And I'm, I'm not putting values on either of those, by the way. This is a hypothetical. But what I'm saying is that private that did die in Iraq, as many, many, many did, year after year after year did so fully willingly by raising their right hand and putting themselves in the harm's danger after our nation was attacked and that is heroism it's a room of you know and they they paid the price fully knowing that and uh and their buddies continued to move forward and other ones continued to die and it and the mission itself whatever that mission that day was is um, really insignificant compared to that big picture is my take on it. Yeah, I understand. I just, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I'm just thinking of the, the challenges there, right? Um, it, you know, to their family back home, it doesn't matter because Billy, Billy's not coming home. That's what matters. Um, he left and now he's not coming home. Um, that's all they care about. And it's in war is hell and it sucks. It sucks when you lose someone on the very last day, but it sucks when you lose someone on the very first day too. A little later in the episode, Perkani is, is in a machine gun nest and uh, he's got, was it O'Keefe or I think it's okay. They get his name wrong so many times that I genuinely can't remember what it's supposed to be. Um, it is O'Keefe. But, uh, but Perkani yells at him at one point and says, I haven't been home in two years. Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, in, in a scene just a few minutes later, Nixon gets a letter that he's getting divorced and his, his wife is taking the dog. And it just kind of brought to light, like they didn't know how long they were going to be gone. This isn't, you go do a one-year deployment and come back or six months and come back. This was, you're going to be there until the war is over. We'll get into some kind of exceptions here in episode 10, when they start to send people home after the war. Mm -hmm. But these guys didn't know if they were signed up for one, two, three, five. Um, it's interesting. And that bad news is going to come. If you, if you could be gone for three months, maybe you can minimize some of it. But two years. I mean, of course, the divorce letters are going to show up. The breakup letters, all of that stuff. Two years right. is a long time. Yeah. Well, and that's, but that's the unfortunate beauty of their war, of that ultimate team of teams that were fighting until they won. And I think it'd be terrible to go through, but like the mission was very clear about that. And it wasn't, I mean, it, it changes things when you know that you have a 12 month deployment, give or take a month or two. I mean, it changes things um, with just mental perceptions and all of that. Like 
it comes into just punching a ticket and doing your time in a way too, um, as compared to what they were going through. I think it would have to be. I mean, they didn't have a ticket. They just, there was no future, but moving forward to defeat the enemy. And they only could go home when they defeated the enemy or died trying. Um, it would be horrible, but there's also, uh, I get it. I think it, it just, it's a different nuance that we really haven't seen since. But that's a good thing because we lost half a million people in that war. You know, it's interesting. With the size of half the size we are today. What's Our interesting is, is, so it's easy to get some of these episodes confused, but I'm, I'm, I'm 90% certain the surrender of Germany is not announced until episode 10, which can be a little confusing because when you're watching this episode, it's, not a combat episode. They're kind of hanging out in a German town. They're driving around pretty freely. They're driving in trucks, singing. When I yeah. saw that scene, I thought, I can't remember the last time they showed this group. I mean, I think it was when they were back in England after D-Day, when they oh, got yeah. tapped to go. Remember when they got tapped to go back in? Yeah. Um, they were loose. Movie. Yeah, they were loose. They were free. They were um, for the first time in a long time. And I think it's because they can see the end is in sight. Yeah. Right. And Liebgott starts talking and just puts, puts words to, I think, what they're all feeling. And he, he describes exactly what he's going to do when he gets home. And it's perfect. The world is going to be perfect when he gets home. He's got it all planned out. And I thought, that hasn't changed. Do you remember your thoughts as you started to, to get ready to come home or the thoughts of your soldiers? I remember thinking some of this stuff and some of our guys thinking this, like, the world is is open. Whatever you want to do, you can do it all. It's invincible. Yeah, if I can do that, I can do anything. And it's all um, going to be sunshine and roses. Because this is bad. That is good. So it's this, it's it's not accurate. It's not how it plays out. But No, but it's truly like, it's all rainbows and sunshine and flowers in your mind. It's all going to be perfect forgotten about some of that until he started talking and then just the picture he paints of like his his world will be perfect when he gets home mm. and you have time to do that you have time to think about that and well it's nice to have optimism for once right it's Let's nice it. to have something to look forward to um man and to think that it might be over exaggerated well you know it's been pent up um been hard to think about that type of thing because you're not focused on you can't focus on uh, either the past or the future because um if you dwell on the past that'll mess you up if someone got killed or something and you're just dwelling on uh bad things that have happened to you that's not good can't move forward and then if you're just thinking about the future your head's in the clouds um so they've just had this intense focus on the present um every minute of what they were doing, scanning the sectors of the woods and vast stone, or uh, the green light before they jump. Um, any of those things are all very highly intensive things that they've had to be on point about. Back to that chink in the art or the break in the chain cannot be that weak link. Um, there's an intensity there. They've been on the line, you know? Well, I wanted to make sure we had plenty of time to talk about this and we do. so towards the end of the episode, kind of how it wraps up, or 
I should have looked at the time in the episode, but I'll bet at least 15, 20 minutes of the episode is focused on them finding the concentration camp. It's mm-hmm. a smallish camp by comparison, and Winters hints at that later, um, suggesting the Soviets found one that was 10 times larger. This is one of those things. I have a few things um, that I can't grasp, and I don't think it matters how you know, impressive modern film or, or TV is, there's certain things, and the concentration camp is one. I don't feel like I understand what it looked like, no matter how many pictures I look at or, or videos or whatever. Um, another one is, is World War I trenches. Mm. Like I just, it feels, it feels out of reach to, to understand what that was like. And, um, I think they do a, a, a decent job. It's a tough one to show, um, a tough one to uh, have in a series. But, I mean, you can see the shock on the American soldiers' faces there, too. I agree with both of your reflections there, by the way, about those uh, settings. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I was, uh, hey, I was getting already fired up about talking concentration camps. That was the first thing I started talking about. You know, my seven-year-old son watched parts of this, too. And he was asking questions and like, it's like, do you, is this not for kids? I had to go through that kind of thing, but like, I don't know. I just believe in truth and this is real. That's what, you know, if this was just some arbitrary random movie sci-fi where they had these type of prison camps, that's, it's a little different, but um, this is real. And this really did happen. And it's just, and it is gruesome and horrible, but um, man, it's real. This really happened. Well, you say gruesome and horrible, but what they show in Band of Brothers is kind of on the G-rated side. I agree with that, too. Right? Yeah. I do agree with that, too. I, I actually think they should have been looked more like Christian Bale machinist style. Like, because the pictures, because I agree with what you're saying is, and I don't think this does it justice, actually. So I guess I'm disagreeing with you to think, yeah, maybe with like the the barracks or the whatever they slept in type situation or the cage around and the outposts and the physical structures, but the people themselves, I just don't think you could ever mimic that the death that they had, the frailty. You'd have to think, especially at this stage in the war, back to what you were saying earlier, we're all, we all knew everybody knew where it was heading. Um, I don't think that they were probably feeding them very well or caring for them. Right. The only reason that they were the, uh, the prisoners were alive was because, they were Germans ran out of bullets. So, um, but it's just like, it's really important. And um, I'm just glad that they did it, they, that they do it, that this is memorialized while these guys were alive to be able to tell the story, to see that people tell these stories that saw it with their own eyes. It's important. The, the name of the episode is called, and this is, a, it's, you know, this is tied to Band of Brothers, but I also just think it's an interesting topic to talk about. It's called why we fight. And I think what that's getting at is the concept here of um, we're fighting to rid the world of whatever it is um, that, that could do this, right? Nazi Germany, got to get rid of that. Um, it, it, that. That's how I read the name of the episode. Mm. But that topic, whether or not mm. Americans really knew what was going on in the concentration camps is a tricky one. And right. I think to say... I feel pretty confident in saying that most American service members didn't sign up 
to put an end to the Holocaust. I don't think it was anywhere near understood enough for that to be the case. Or even necessarily just um, the, you know, Nazis being anti-Semitic assholes because they've been anti-Semitic assholes for like a decade. Um, I don't know if that was the main motivator as like, as much as it was Hitler conquering his neighboring countries. I was reading that, I think it was like 1933 or something, Time Magazine did a big piece on the Nazi party and Hitler. And they have stuff in there where now when you read it, you're like, that's a red flag. That's a red flag. You know, things like it's the fault of the Jews. Um, oh. Kampf. No, no, I mean like, no, no, this was a, this was published in Time Magazine of the United States. Well, yeah, but like people knew about it. That's what I'm saying. Mein Kampf was, there were no surprises in there. He's very clear. You have to take context out of it. I think um, the, everybody knew there was an American Nazi party. It's the kind of thing where now after the fact we can look back and say, there are all the red flags, but one analysis that I read, and I think it kind of, I, I, I can put some credence to this where it's not that the information wasn't there, but people couldn't understand how bad it was um, or the severity. If you think about what's, right. you know, the reports of what's happening in parts of China today, right. I can tell you that I've read about that, but I have a feeling that if, if videos and pictures of it to a certain degree came out, I'd be blown away. Um, right. So I think that plays out a little bit. I'm really trying hard not to, um, not, not to have like a cop-out answer here. I think the information was there, but it was on another continent. And I think the scope of the Holocaust was not something people could understand until they saw it. Yeah. That makes and, sense. But, and who would have come to that? Even, even with, by the way, the, the nasty language and the stuff that was public, whether it's Mein Kampf or the time stuff, where it was very clear, anti-Semitic, yep, got it, got it, got it, got it. At that time, where in the, I mean, the whole Holocaust thing coming out of that was like, it wasn't a normal thing. I mean, no other nation has done in the history, I don't think anything like that to think, and you know, this is like a Western industrious country. They just fought the gentleman, even though World War I was a horrible war that killed millions and millions and millions. It, um, it was still like a gentleman's war with their swords and crap and honor. Um, to think that that type of thing would, would happen. Um, I don't know. It's that whole thing. Who knows? I, nobody will know the truth with any of it, like the, how it got to be that and how a whole nation of peoples did it. And then the, it gives, I mean, that's probably the next episode with the villagers that were there and whatnot. How much did they know? <sighs> and that that's, um, it's an interesting one because you know, on the one hand, there's information coming out of Nazi Germany. Um, there's, there's, I mean, the first time that I'm, I'm not going to put a date on it because I'm not going to rattle it correctly off the top of my head, but I remember reading at some point how early FDR knew about the Holocaust, mm. not just the persecution of the Jewish people, but the actual Holocaust as in like extermination was early. Was like it? before the United States got into the war, um, but I, I, to your point, I don't think anybody had that in mind. 
like, what do you mean 6 million Jews? Was it 6 million Jews, 11 million people total? Like, yeah. I don't think that was on the radar. Right. Um, so when these soldiers in, in, in episode nine here show up to the gates and they look stunned, I think they've heard of that kind of stuff before. But it's like, this isn't what we There's thought. There's a rumor, like some weird crap going on. If you'd never heard of the Holocaust and you walked into that, you'd feel like it was outer space. Right. They, like, they, they don't look like they don't look like they don't look like people at a point. Right. They're so emaciated yeah. and sick. It's <laughs> again, this is all real life. That was another thing I thought. Again, watching this episode, these are this it's all real life. Really, people did this. So it's like not only did Easy Company do all the Normandy stuff and all that stuff with uh well they they liberated the Eagle's Nest too on top of that, and they even across their path liberated a concentration camp i mean they they just i hate to say it's a box checking thing but they literally checked every single box of everything that you could do in the european theater to include sitting in hitler's mansion <laughs> like his palace so not to get too far off uh here but i didn't realize how many people um still didn't believe in the Holocaust mm. until uh, put some videos on, on the internet, on, on TikTok. And uh, I would have been surprised with, with one or two. And it's been a lot more than that. Um, fake calling it fake news, calling it Western propaganda. Call, I mean, I didn't know that was even a thing. I, I, I mean, I knew logically that there were people out there that felt that way, but uh, it's more than I thought. Well, we're older than you think, and we've evolved into the era of this is like legend status. These people, these stories will live on. And uh, well, we have film now to memorialize the real people. That's what I'm saying. That's a benefit. But they're still going to become, you know, like the statues in our mind. And um, it just becomes a memory. And that's why I think that's another reason this film is important to show living testimony to that. But there's a plenty of young people that, you know, what I'm saying is our grandfathers were this era. We grew up all the old guys, but that's not the case anymore. All the old guys are like kind of the Vietnam veteran guys at this point. They're not World War II guys. And so the young 20 year old kid, or I don't know what age these people are, um, can believe whatever they're gonna believe. And, but this is proof and this is proof and evidence to the contrary. And I think that facts and all of that will win at the end of the day so it's it's a piece of it, it's not just a piece of film but the film itself is a piece of history there you go well the last big thing i want to hit on here to wrap up episode nine is when they're pulling the civilians into the concentration camp to do some of the cleanup um they did that here i don't know how widespread that was across all of germany um but one of the reasons for that was a lot of um, locals were, were saying that they didn't know about this and that they didn't even, they weren't aware of this concentration camp up the road or this extermination camp up the road. And I've got my notes now, it just says tricky one because we hit on it a little bit earlier. Nobody after the fact, is it in their best interest to say, I knew that was there and I did nothing. Um, right. Well, in, Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't like, so we did that and we made them kind of get their hands dirty and shovel it, but didn't the Russians just kill the villages, right? 
Isn't that what they did when they were liberating through? I don't know. There was a lot. There's a lot that happened on the Eastern Front. That's what I mean on both sides. But like, well, what I'm saying is like, I don't blame that mentality either, by the way. Like, it, I don't mm, I gotcha. to think that that would happen. If there's a village, I don't know how close this village was. I get the idea, impression that's pretty darn close. And to think that, and it's probably been there for several years. Yeah. And I'm what I'm just saying to think that, th- to think that whomever, I'm not even going to assign a nation to it, liberating something like that to think they're all culpable. I mean, this high entire vicinity. I mean, I think that's a logical conclusion to, to walk upon this thing that you're not supposed to ever see anything like that ever as a human or endure that as a human. It is not human at all. It's the exact opposite of it. And to, to think however you respond to that, I don't know. I, I can't judge any of it is what I'm saying. I'll, I'll, I'll take a stance here a little bit. I, have gone back and forth over time of everybody had to know and, and maybe they didn't, but I think where I've landed now, just seeing how, you know, not to compare any modern events in our country to the Holocaust, but we've seen this kind of play out where people can put their head in the sand if they really want to. Um, and it doesn't matter. You might say, how could you miss this? It's all over the news. It's everywhere, but there's still people that somehow have a different picture or, uh, or just won't listen. We'll tune it out. So I think, um, especially when you're talking about a place this close to a concentration camp, I think everybody had to at least recognize that something was happening. Yeah. But I don't doubt there were people that put their head in the sand and, and just said, I just don't want to know anything about it. But I find it hard to believe that anyone of you know, reading age across Germany could be completely in the dark about what was happening right well and that's what i mean and then these guys had to hold their triggers against what they're seeing as they're confronted with pure evil when you see a well-fed person living right on the outskirts when they're just right down the street is is the is whatever you want to call what they just saw um how to, i don't know like how do you not mow them all down um from i'm saying from the liberators angle Whatever nationality that is, doesn't matter. I'm just saying, walking into that depraved humanity type hell on earth sort of scenario. um, It's just such a unique, that part of the war is what makes it so unique almost, right? Because it's not just the land invasion piece. Because that could have been its own thing too, just playing the game of risk of, I want to expand territory, world war, allies versus Axis, let's go um that is a whole piece to this that is a section uh and and from the the way the way it got the recruits was just that um you know friends versus other friends groups of friends versus each other you know it's just like what the other one was but this is like complete it just it doesn't even magnify it it puts it in a different dimension i think i think that's fair it's kind of a uh, totally I mean, if you step back and look at the 10 episodes, this one's pretty unique in that sense, right? It kind of tackles a bigger topic, a moral topic. Yeah. Um, you don't, I mean, we see a lot of little tiny pieces throughout the series that can be applied. I mean, one of the things we talked about that we love about Band of Brothers is you can take these little nuggets out and apply it to, to your job in the military or out. It doesn't matter. This is one, episode nine, um, you know, especially around the camp, like 
how do you, it's a unique situation. It's, I'm sure there's lessons to be learned all around from what they see and what they do and how they react. But, um, you know, fortunately, I mean, I, I've never uh, been in a situation to see or experience this and knock on wood, we, we never will. Well, but it does go back to people did know. It does go back to, we do know history repeats itself. We do forget past mistakes. We as a human species or whatever, we do the same damn thing. Um, and it just brings to mind, I, I think it's Orwell. All that is necessary for the triumph or for all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Right. We've heard that. It's a risky uh, move reciting that from memory. Yeah. Well, I might not be word for word, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and by the way, he didn't invent that term either. He said it and they memorialized it, but it's true though. And that's hard right over the easy wrong. And the easy wrong is just to keep your head down. And, and um, the decision to put your head in the sand is a decision, you know? So um, evil exists everywhere. It's, it's, we see it in all different shades all throughout society. I think that's a good way to wrap up uh, part nine here, why we fight. Next time is the final episode in the Band of Brothers series where Sarah and I were talking a little bit about how we're going to tackle it exactly because there's a lot to it. And it's a lot of positive in my mind for all of the roller coaster ups and downs and death and destruction we've seen. There's some pretty positive moments coming up in episode 10. So that one's called Points and it's next time on War Stories. Hey, thanks for listening to War Stories. If you get a chance, it'd mean an awful lot if you could head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. It helps others to, to find the show. But thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.